0: You're listening to the Teaching and Learning Podcast, the podcast where teachers are the learners and come together to make the most of their students' learning experiences. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us for what will be our last episode of this school year. As we find ourselves at the end of a school year, and not just any school year, we have the privilege of being able to look back and reflect on what happened and what our experiences are and what we can foresee for ourselves ahead. Today, I'm joined by Josh Schumacher, the Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction in District 211. Mr. Schumacher's background is all things Hoffman Hawks. He student-taught at Hoffman Estates High School and began his teaching career as a biology and physical science teacher at Hoffman in 2003. He entered administration in 2011, and after ultimately serving as principal for several years, is now completing his first year at the District's Administration Center. He's also the father of four children and, like many of us, takes advantage of his summers to pack in those family memories. In this conversation, you'll hear some great observations about the student experience this year, as well as the real impacts of the pandemic on learning, and we'll take a closer look at what our priorities are and what we can do to prepare for welcoming our students back to our classrooms in the fall. Josh, so good to have you on the show. Welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm excited
1: uh, to be part of this. So thank you for allowing me to.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I kind of wanted to start um, back at the beginning, really. Now that we're, we find ourselves at the end of the school year, it's a really good time to reflect on where we've come over the last year and also kind of project and prepare for what's coming up next. So, Going off of that reflective side first, uh, I'm thinking about just what this year looked like for students, just the shape and the structure uh, and some of the ways that that evolved over the course of the school year. Can you just give us a, a brief tour of what this year was like or what we tried to make it like for students?
1: Sure, so I think uh, what we tried what we tried to make it like for students. So um, obviously we were in a situation this year unlike any other in that there were so many unknowns and those unknowns continued to change. And so we were forced to constantly evolve uh, things that we are not used to and constantly innovate things that we are not used to like school schedules. Is it, are we in person, are we not? That has never happened before for any of us that are currently in our roles, right? right. And so uh, I think what we tried to do more than anything in District 11 was put the student perspective in the center and say, Um, how can we provide the best environment and situation for our students based on the mitigations that we have to follow? And so uh, for some that that created uh, what I would say is more work for uh, our staff and more work for our systems to do that. Um, I think there were school districts that took what I'll call the easy route um, in perhaps developing a model uh, or a structure or a schedule that was less Uh, work or less intensive. And I don't think the student was put in the center at that part. And I think uh, in in District 211, what we did from um, every employee in our system, no matter what they did, was a lot of hard work and a lot of difficult um, work to put students first and make good decisions for them.
0: Yeah, it was... um after it may a little surprising at the beginning or prior to the beginning of the year when we saw the, the structure of what our days would be like having the, the four period uh, kind of extended uh, class times and then the academic supports in the afternoon. Um, but I think as we adapted to that, we found that there was a lot of advantages uh, to what that was able to provide for students and the way that that was flexible enough to uh, just kind of roll with whatever the year brought us as time went on. Um, so I, th- I thought that that was a, a creative and unique approach to the school year rather than really trying to just take what we've done in previous years and adapt that to an online setup. And that I had the privilege of working with
1: the great team of educators back last spring and summer to look at those questions about structure and schedule and what that looks like. And one thing we were able to do early on which I was very thankful for was set up these foundational assumptions and really build the schedule off of those as opposed to trying to just pull pieces that we didn't know um, and pull them in. And some of those worked for us, I think, and were very successful. Um, And others, um, you know, weren't as successful as we hoped, obviously, or didn't weren't implemented in the initial way that we hoped, but that's part of what we had to do. So uh, that team of district 211 staff that, uh, came together in, in Waffle subcommittees and put that schedule together. Was uh, That was probably one of my uh, favorite things that I was able to be a part of in the, in the last year. So they were great.
0: Nice. So let's talk about that, that student experience a little bit more because obviously students were remote at times. Um, they were a hybrid and maybe optionally in-person at times throughout the semester um, and compounded with the, the structure, only having specific classes every other day. To what extent do you feel, like I've heard the term learning loss, um, I've heard that term maybe overused, um, but you know, to what extent is the, the education students come away with this year comparable to other years? How, how have they been impacted this year?
1: Sure, so I think there's a couple of things that I've noticed, and I'll, I'll speak organizationally, right, because I, I, uh, I'm a systems guy, and so I think uh, a lot of times the way I think is based in that. And so I think there's, there's a couple of things and then I'd like to touch on the concept of learning loss because I think it's an interesting concept, right? So first of all, I think what has happened this year has exposed and amplified uh, some of the inequities and issues that we have historically had uh, that they weren't as um, in our face when we could have students in person every day. Uh, Some of the, you know, you go from the simple ones of just simply access, right? Access to internet, access to food, access to healthcare. Um, And then you can, you go to more complicated things like poverty and how that affects a student when they can't come into our schools and be receive the wraparound supports that we provide students that they're in their home. And we're trying to outreach and do our best. And we had people do an amazing job, but uh, there was certainly an amplification of the student situation as far as uh, their background and home life. Um, I think on the other end of things, there was also an application of the amount and quality of dynamic educators that we have. And when I use the term educators, I'm not just talking about our classroom teachers, but everybody that supports the students and just seeing how people uh, took the situation that we had, right? And our students are in trauma, long-term complex trauma, right? Our staff is also experiencing this long-term complex trauma and, so, and supporting our students at the same time and seeing what, the, what our dynamic educators did to, to thrive themselves and then help students thrive in a really, really tough situation. Uh, I think I've, I've seen both sides, right? I saw that negative side which came out and then I saw this positive side uh, which also came out. So uh, I think that portrays the experience from the organizational level um, and then that learning loss is such an interesting concept. On one hand, I like it because we don't have a lot of common language across educators and non-educators, right? So you use the term learning loss and it's a, as you said, it's being used ubiquitously and uh, everybody can connect to it, right? A parent can connect to that and that's, they have an issue with our school because their kid lost so much. It's actually lost learning, right? If I'm gonna put loss in quotation marks, I don't think they lost anything. Um, I think if we're going to, I think we can no longer approach what we do in the same structures that we had in the past, and so if you're going to look at this with the structure of, this is what we expected in the past, a student to learn by the end of the year, that there may be a difference uh, this year than there was before. I wouldn't trim that learning loss. I would would put it in a different situation. I also think that's going to continue forward. And we're going to have to reevaluate what it looks like to be successful at the end of a course or end of a year. And to, to, I don't expect to be able to compare pre-pandemic with post-pandemic. I, mm-hmm. I think if people are going into it, like you said earlier, thinking things are going to move back to traditional and we're going to be able to say pre-2020 and post-2021, we can compare those things. I don't think there's, I don't think there will be a comparison we can make.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that might be uh, maybe the, the cliche and the misused term of, of learning loss. Um, but I, I think sometimes we overlook it just summers. You know, we have really like t- two plus months every year where students are often not unless they're taking summer classes or doing something else. They're often you know, not engaged directly with curriculum. And we kind of anticipate with how we, that informs our fall. Um, so obviously this year is, is much different in the dynamic and there's a lot that's still been gained from students and their experience this year too. Um, so I, I want to tease that because you kind of mentioned how, uh, like the title of the, the show is back to normal-ish. Um, what aspects do you see as being maybe most familiar to us, but what are, what are some of those things that are, are lurking that we, we really need to be cognizant of how the fall may May shape and, and what we need to consider with that understanding that a lot may change between now and the actual fall itself.
1: It certainly will, and we don't know what those changes are going to be, right? And so right. we become pretty adept at uh, being adaptable and uh, not becoming as frustrated when something significantly changes on us in a short period of time. So, right, I think that's been a positive. Um, I, as you mentioned earlier, I have a concern that. Uh, that our mindset goes to the fall of 2021 is going to be a traditional, what we knew before. And I I think that if we're going to approach our classrooms and our schools in that manner, then we're going to set ourselves up for failure. And more importantly, we're going to set our students up for failure because they are different now and we are different now. And um, I think it will be a more traditional situation, but we also have this opportunity to take what we learned, right? And take the best. Uh, of what we had before and take the best of what we have now and put that together and so my hope is that as we are reflecting on this year and approaching the fall that we're keeping an open mind and saying some of those things are going to be the same or similar but not 100 percent, right and so we can't get in this mindset of oh this is how it used to be kids are kids are back in our building but they're acting different and we're you know and things are different and so having that open mind um continuing to not exactly know how it's going to be. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it as an opportunity, like what an, what an opportunity that next year is going to be for us uh, to really redefine what we do in the classroom when kids are back in the classroom. And so I don't know that we've been, at least in my 18 years, we've had a situation where there has been such a drastic opportunity to uh, change the things that we do to be more impactful and effective. And one of my I think one of my favorite things to do when I do my personal reflections, and I have done this with teams that I've been part of in the past is reflect on this, this three question concept of what do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? And what do we need to keep doing? Mm -hmm. And I think if we took those three simple questions, but spend a little time this summer reflecting on that as both my classroom and my school, um, you can take the best of all the pieces, right? And you can put that together and, and, for someone to sit down and say, this is, this is something that I did before that we need to stop doing because it's no longer relevant, it was not impactful, and what a great opportunity the 2021-22 school year is going to be to make sure that we're effective and we're impactful and we're all using effective strategies.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've asked myself a similar question about just, you know, the idea of the excitement of getting back to normal. It's like, well, time out, like, what was so great about normal that we're excited to get back to? And there may be elements that are great to get back to, um, but others, it is a, a great moment to just reevaluate and ask, like, what, what do we need to stop? And what can we start that maybe weren't there before? So as, as we make those preparations, and I'm thinking especially about uh, the staff member who um, this summer is taking time to really try to authentically prepare for how they can best serve students in the fall. Um, is there anything in particular that they should anticipate uh, trying to any, any strategies or best practices that may come into play um, that may be uh, different or an ampl- amplification of what they've done before that would be relevant?
1: Sure, so I think if I, would, if I was gonna be able to craft um, you know, every classroom uh, in, a, in a school, right? I would say, I would ask every educator to focus on three things. Like this is your focus for the first part of the school year and those three things really aren't different from what they were before but I think the higher focus on them and that would be forming relationships with every student, making sure every student feels like they belong in your classroom. And building a classroom community. Mm-hmm. Me, those are the top three things you could do right away because you've got, again, you've got students that just went through 15 months of trauma or at that at that point it'll be 17 months of complex trauma, coping differently, uh, many isolated from previous communities and schools. And so bring those students in, right? Form those relationships. Every, every piece of educational research I've ever said about, uh, I've ever read about being effective or high impact starts with the concept of relationship so relationship belonging community is what I would tell people those are the most important things you could focus on and I know there's not I didn't use the word curriculum and instruction which is <laughs> those pieces come right those will come and with that and if you don't have a relationship those won't those won't happen so yeah that should be the focus and then after that I would say, Uh, The next three most important things are equity, social-emotional learning, and engagement. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to those first three, there is this, um, this has come up in almost every episode of the show, that the idea of connection and community, Um, but there is this counterintuitiveness to it where we think if we want to be the best teacher we can be, that involves you know, great lesson planning, uh, really great delivery of instruction, assessments, and we start thinking specific, like about those curriculum and instruction pieces. And so, I, I think it's fascinating that so much of our staff and in these conversations have really prioritized that community and, and that relationship that goes into. That's like the secret ingredient. And I think especially this year we have. There's nothing that is so evident that we've missed with our students as that ability to just so organically in the classroom, build those bonds um, and the, the impact shows.
1: Here's a good, here's an interesting example. So when I was uh, principal at Hoffman, one of my favorite things to do at the end of the year was ask seniors what their favorite class was over their four years, right? Mm-hmm. And so time and time again, this is the answer I got. And the answer I got wasn't, uh, physics it wasn't nothing against physics right it wasn't right.
0: sophomore <laughs> well <English>. maybe <laughs> it, it,
1: it wasn't that it, what it was every, almost every single time it was Mr. Catapano's English class right it was mm-hmm. Mr. Hauser's science class right and so it wasn't when I said what class it wasn't about the class obviously it was about the teacher because that's how they identified it so it tells you all, from our perspective it's important but when the kids look at then the students look at it that's what they see and that's what they connect with. And So if you have the relationship with that student, they're going to look forward to and enjoy coming to your class, they're going to be engaged, they're going to do the work. So that's where the curricular instruction piece comes in.
0: And maybe this leads into um, some of the next things that you mentioned I wanted to explore with you. Um, but you had previously mentioned just the, the trauma that we all have endured over the course of this past year. Um, and then you how that gets into serving students with that SEL, uh, you know, element, that's a big component of how we're interacting with students. Um, So I want to just ask you about, uh, like, what is social emotional learning? How do you, how do you foresee this playing a role, maybe a more amplified role than it has in the past? If You can just walk us through some thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so I I think, um, if you want me to give you that, The technical definition of (laughs) social emotional learning, um, the process of developing self-awareness, self-control, and interpersonal skills, that would be the technical um, definition of it. But I think practically for our purposes and just for a classroom purpose, it's making sure that that we're putting explicit words and explicit instruction to the skills and knowledge that students need to cope and thrive, right? And how to do that. So modeling those pieces, and I don't think this is a situation, I think in the past we've compartmentalized social emotional learning to say that's student services job, right? Or that's mm. the counselor's job, or that's somebody else's job. It's not my job, <laughs> right? Right. My, my job is to teach English or whatever. Um, and so we can no longer compartmentalize that because it's not, the students are no longer going to see their just see their counselor when they're uh, coping or need help or are in trauma. They're like that now. So they're going to walk back into your classroom with all of those things. And certainly, certainly I'm not saying that every one of our classroom teachers and staff should uh, handle major uh, psychological or social or social emotional crises, right? That is still the role of the experts in our student services department. But I do think it's going to be incredibly important to for every classroom teacher to have knowledge of social-emotional learning and, and embed those skills within the things that that they do. And people do it now. They do it naturally because that's what really good teachers do when they share stories and model um, reactions and walk students through situations, coping, strat- coping skills, study strategies. All those pieces, in my mind, are part of that. We do a better job of making it more clear to students of what we're saying and what we're doing and so developing some common language across the district or within schools about the the concepts we're going to focus on um, and then
0: making sure that every teacher knows what to say and how to do that. Yeah. Uh, Are there any, as we're looking at uh, just ways to build community and to support students um, academically but also socially and emotionally, are there any examples of, uh, that come to mind of any teachers, or any departments that have had an especially useful approach uh, over this past semester, any that you're aware of that may be implemented in the future?
1: So interesting you asked that question. When we had our spring round of curriculum with all the departments, I, I did ask that question directly to them, right? <laughs> Can you bring examples of the things that you have done? And the, the examples across every department were very common. Um, and when I say common, I, I don't mean uh, that in a negative connotation. I mean, they were used regularly in many of our classrooms across the district. So the, the check-in, right? The, the, what I'll call the social emotional check-in became a, a pretty widely used strategy this year because the students were remote. And so teachers wanted to continue to check in with that, the individual conversation in the breakout room, right? Before, before we could do that by pulling a kid aside on the hallway or ask them to stay after class, not necessarily the same thing in a Zoom. So really uh, teachers did a great job I think of taking the things that they did in person and uh, innovating to what they look like um, in Zoom. But I also think um, we need to provide additional professional learning opportunities for staff to say, what's the next step? Like what's mm-hmm. the next step after an individual conversation? What's the next step on doing a check-in and realizing that students aren't okay and what do I do then right and I think that's part of the uncomfortableness of staff as we approach this is to go okay I love the check-in and I'm going to do a, a number system right and I'm going to have to in on a number system but now what do I do when, the, when 17 of my 32 kids are, are at a two like usually, if one kid's at a two I can send them down to student services but I can't send 17 so I need and we need strategies that we can then do that take three minutes, that take five minutes, that say, okay, like can we can get centered right here in the classroom. And so we're just gonna do this little, this little activity right now, and then we're gonna move into the content uh, and what I had planned for the class.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting because. You know that that will definitely help in those moments but it also strikes me as just another skill that when repeated will equip students to then use themselves in future moments hopefully as well so they can continually have this reinforced to them um, and in addition to the academic knowledge that they'll come away with they'll have hopefully this you know resource toolbox of social emotional skills that they can employ and even use with one another if need be
1: yeah, and that's ultimately that's the the goal, right? Is that there's there's the negative view that looks at that and goes, well, I have to take five minutes or ten minutes of my curricular time to do that. And what what I would say to that is that you're gonna invest that five to ten minutes and that is gonna come your investment's gonna be compounded not only in your classroom, but every classroom at our school, because that's is gonna internalize that and make it and it's going to, you know, be part of their uh, coping strategies as we move forward. So
0: yeah. Um, Another thing that you had mentioned was equity and how uh, some of the disparities had been exacerbated just over the course of, of this past year. And I know um, obviously once students come into the building, we can provide more of those resources that we're accustomed to providing in person. Um, but as this is really a stake that, that uh, everyone has, you know, from every, every staff member in the building providing that, are there any um, conversations or any uh, elements that um, we can uh, just anticipate being mindful of or applying as we get into the fall that may be different or, or amplified from previous years?
1: So I think equity is a, a conversation that we've been having for many years, right? And I think if you asked, even though that's the case, if you asked 12 District 211 educators to define equity, you would get 12 very different, <laughs> different right? And so I think part of what the goal is as we move forward is creating some common language around what equity means in District 211 and what the focus is. Uh, We've had a District 211 equity team that's been uh, probably another one of the major highlights of my year was to be part of that. uh, That's put together an equity plan moving forward that encompasses uh, student voice and it encompasses work that schools are already doing and they're going to continue. And then additional work that we need to do um, and putting it down in a uh, construct that's going to allow us to then move forward with it. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and we're going to begin engaging staff and more in that uh, during the summer. And um, I think equity is not just a, as you've seen in the, right in all of the media and the press, it's a it's a nationwide issue at many levels. And so the conversation on equity is not just happening between our educators anymore. Uh, parents are having conversations about equity and what that looks like in our district, and they certainly have very strong perspectives, right? Mm-hmm and students are having those conversations. And so we're gonna need to approach our curriculum um, and our instructional methods with a lens of equity based in uh, looking at it from our students' perspective. And I think that's gonna be a big shift uh, for us as we as we go down that road and look at that. And then we need to look at other things, right? We need to look at our procedures and practices. And some of those are longstanding and need to be changed. Uh, we need to look at our, uh, the opportunities and access that we have, and then we need to look at and make sure that our staff is equipped with the knowledge uh, and the ability to move forward and make the changes that are necessary.
0: And, and those are exciting changes as well. Um, and like you had said, gonna move away from the, the status quo what we are, we're accustomed to. It's a, a piece of normal, maybe, that we, we definitely want to uh, not get back to, but try to you know, learn from and, and improve upon. So it's exciting to hear and and move forward with Um, and understand that there's some some familiar elements and some uh, new elements that are taking place this summer as well. Um, So I was wondering if you can just give us uh, an overview of maybe what we can anticipate uh, maybe happening with many of our students this summer and how that's um, designed to maybe bridge the gaps between their experience this past year and this upcoming one.
1: Sure. So... Uh, you know, we have our what I'll call our quote traditional summer school model that's um, open and an opportunity for students. And as of yesterday, we moved it all in person. So we're, kind of, you know, as, as we talked about the idea. I saw that. That's exciting.
0: P- <laughs> yeah, what's where well, there's a lot of cliches from this pivot is is one of those I think. So we're we're pivoting uh, to the in-person model again.
1: <laughs> We've never used the term pivot more than in the past. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're going to bring that back in person, and I think that's a good change. Uh, but we're also, we're offering uh, some different things, and one of them is, is called, we've just called it the Summer Advancement Program, uh, and it's an opportunity, really, it's got a couple of goals. One, it, uh, two, it, to provide skills and opportunities for students, right? And so there are some students that sign up expecting to have a certain experience in a class that they had, right? And so let's take music for an example, right? the music experience in our classes was very different this year than in the past. Oh yeah. Not what our students signed up for, right? Take a manufacturing or an autos or a culinary course. And so uh, provide opportunities to, to experience those things uh, that our students want to uh, increase the excitement about coming back to school. Uh, We have not every one of our students is back in our classrooms as you know and have experienced. And so um, for whatever reason that is, we need students to know that school is a safe, and fun place again. And so providing an opportunity and something a little bit different to, to entice students back into the building um, and just preparing for fall. I think these these sessions and we're running some things called one week workshops and uh, some learning enrichment. And so there's been some very interesting proposals put forth. And- yeah,
0: actually that was one of my questions was what are some of the uh, more unique proposals that students might get to take advantage of?
1: Sure, so let me let me pull some up here. So. <laughs> You know, there's some, and when we rolled this out, we said, let's, let's try to make some of these academically focused, right? Let's build some skills or let's um, do something that is going to more effectively prepare students with content in the fall. And then let's make some fun, exciting things. So we've got some um, sessions that are preparing and, and completing the AP Lit Summer Project. So that's an interesting one for the AP student who really wants to ensure that they get their summer project done. Yeah,
0: Um,
1: We've got some SAT preparation. um, And then we've got some called, we've got one called uh, The Rhetoric of Hip Hop, uh, which is gonna explore um, that genre. Uh, We've got some, uh, let me just get to my list here. We've got one called You've Got the Beat, Making Music, No Experience Necessary. Uh, and then back on the academic end, we've got one on graphing calculator skills. Um, so, you know, it, there's in this, uh, model, what I would say is, oh, there's a fun one out of CONET called all clay all day, which I <laughs> one that I may actually try to sign up for, uh, myself, <laughs> but you know, really at this point, there's something for everyone. And I think it, what I'm hoping it shows our community and our students is, uh, that, we want them to be excited about learning, and in District 211, we're able to provide so many varied, so many varied opportunities for them to learn in so many different venues and media's and uh, types. And so, um, I hope that uh, staff are excited about them. I hope that students sign up for them and uh, really have a great time. And so, uh, just a transitional piece that we'll do, and then we're looking at uh, what is the what is later in the summer look as we get closer to uh, school. And last year we had a model called the mini summer curriculum projects, which is really professional learning focused to to not take too much of someone's summer, but also allow opportunities for people who said, you know, I really wanna get back into the swing of things at the end of summer and learn a little bit. And so there's a potential that we may bring those back uh, related to some equity and social emotional learning, just so that there's opportunities for people that want to.
0: Nice. Um, and those uh, like summer workshops strike me too as a chance for students to maybe see some of their teachers in a, in a light that they haven't had the chance to experience um, it, already or even for students to try something out that they their, their schedule wouldn't normally allow for. And so I think that, that that seems to hit exactly what you're describing, like just get excited about being in the building, about, about learning, about reconnecting with the school community. So hopefully a lot of students will have a chance to take advantage. I've got my fingers crossed. Nice. Um, So, I'm going to ask you for some recommendations. Uh, Just as staff kind of transitions into summer and begins thinking real thoroughly about fall, um, are there any kinds of resources that you might recommend uh, that staff um, look at if they were inclined or any? Um, even mentalities or approaches that they should take to preparing for the fall um, that you think would kind of help them hit upon each of the areas that you're suggesting as being pretty primary.
1: Sure. So, I mean, the first thing I would say is take some time, <laughs> <Like> just <take laughs> some time, breathe, travel, spend time with your whatever it is that you need to do to refresh. We all need we all need that, uh, and so. To me that's a critical part of the summer and and people need to do that and so hear that go do that first right and um for yourself and then once that happens you know that reflection piece as we talked about throughout this and i'm sure all of the other podcasts you've done have mentioned that is that reflective piece of what was before and what was now and what is the what does it look like in the future and really if we approach that with a growth mindset um and we approach that with again that focus on um I, I one of the things I like to think about when I was in the schools was what does the first day look like? What does the first week look like? And what does the first test or assessment look like? Because those are major experiences from the student perspective. Um and so if I were to ask people to once you've once you've uh, gotten away, right, and recalibrated yourself, and then you've done your reflective piece, uh is set that, set a, a really good plan for the first day, the first week and what the first assessment looks like built into this concept of uh, relationships, belonging community uh, and set that up first. And once you set that up first, the year is gonna, uh, the pieces are gonna come together in my opinion and the year is gonna flow and we'll be back into a, the new normal that we, or normal-ish that we then can move forward in.
0: Nice. Uh, I think you may have answered the, this next question, but I was going to put you on the spot and ask you if we if we were, we won't, but if we were to make a t-shirt that just kind of summarized what it is that you want staff to know what would be. But I, I think you just answered that with some of those real straightforward priorities.
1: But yeah, put relationships, belonging, community on the front and then on the back, put equity, social, emotional, learning, engagement. How's
0: that? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture.
1: <laughs> I don't actually make that shirt sure.
0: Okay. <laughs> Someone will listen to it, and I think put one in your mailbox at some point. Uh, do you have any plans this summer yourself to recharge and reflect, or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I uh, I spend a lot of time with my kid. I have uh, four students at home. Uh, sure. At home. <laughs> so, uh, much like everyone, I do not get as much time to spend with them during the school year, and so a lot of the focus on the summer is spending time with them. So we do. Uh, We've done different things in the past. We did uh, Tuesdays with dad uh, two years ago in the summer, which was, we took an adventure every Tuesday, which was really fun. Um, and I have taken my uh, kids camping on just daddy daughter stuff for years. So we'll do that. And that really is what you know, gets me back centered and recharged. So uh, we got a lot of fun family, kid stuff planned.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's uh the, obviously the best time to take advantage of that. So that's uh, very similar to to my plans as well, is to, uh, to you know take advantage of that time that's there with the kids. Uh, I also have four, so um, we kind of know what that that juggle is like between their activities and just trying to get quality time in. That's right. It's it's an insane circus, is
1: what I call it. <laughs> what a nice. good
0: one. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to join us on the show here today. And uh, this is actually our last episode for this season or for this school year. So I think we're ending on a high note and have a lot to think about as we transition into the summer and the fall. So thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, you know everything that's, that you and your staff have done. So thank you.
0: All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Baby, we want to thank Josh for joining us on today's show. It's no secret baby. that this year was very challenging for our students as well as for our staff. And Josh helps us navigate what the extent of those impacts are, pointing out that they go well beyond raw academics. Perhaps not surprisingly, he points out that we can rebuild much of what we feel like we've lost this year, By prioritizing community and relationships and wrapping equity and social emotional considerations around the learning we foresee for our students. But first, we're wise to take his advice and utilize at least part of the summer as a time to rebuild and recharge ourselves. With that in mind, we want to thank you for listening to the Teaching and Learning Podcast through our first season this school year. For those of you who have been listening weekly, our show is going to go dark for the summer with perhaps a few updates and bonuses and we'll be excited to bring you Season 2 this fall. We want to especially thank the team that has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Jeff Stewart and Katie Apperson for co-hosting this podcast with me. Thank you also to Patty Ertle, Felicia McFarlane, and Vinnie Rizzo, our producers, and thanks to the Conant High School Music Department for providing the student music you hear with each episode. And a special thanks to all those who are guests on the podcast throughout our first season and to our administration for their ongoing support. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode to our first season. We encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes and to share any episodes that have impacted you with colleagues you feel may benefit from them. We look forward to bringing you more exciting and worthwhile content in the fall. And until then, stay curious.
1: But still you're in my way. I beg and borrow and steal I for and it's real I didn't know I would feel it But it's in my